0: And that's, that's a problem today with a lot of IoT devices, is the fracture between the promise of what it's gonna do for you and the ability of the consumer to adopt it in their home, easily in their home. You're listening to Over the Air, IoT connected devices and the journey, brought to you by Vary. In each episode, we have sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started.
1: Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT, connected devices, and the journey. My name is Ryan Prosser, CEO of Very,
2: And this is Luke Wilhelm, Chief Product Officer of at Very.
1: And today we're joined by Bob Marshall, founder and CEO of Whisker Labs, and Joe McNulty, Senior Vice President of Products and Partnerships. And we're going to be discussing entrepreneurship, Internal incubation spin-offs and IoT product development. Bob and Joe, thanks for being on the show. Hey,
3: great to be here, Ryan, Luke, thanks for having us.. Yep.
1: So Bob, you've now founded two detection companies that are designed for what I would characterize as risk management. Can you walk us through you know your story and where you're, you know you have an obvious passion in this area? like to give us a little bit of your background?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm an engineer by background, but I've always been a data guy. So uh, everything I've done in my career has basically been deploying sensors uh, in some form or another and trying to find really small, tough signals in the noise. Um, and you know, I'm one of the co-founders of, uh, a company called Earth Networks. Uh, and, uh, you know, at that first company that, uh, I helped co-found, we, we built the world's largest climate and weather networks. Uh, and, uh, you know, we deployed sensors that were connected to the internet, uh, all over the world. And really that was like IOT, but it was actually before IOT was even a word, to, to be known. So. Cool. And so take us from
1: Earth Networks to Tink for folks who don't know. Ting basically designed to do one thing and do it extremely well, which is detect presence or the potential for an electrical fire in a home. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit more?
3: Yeah, definitely. So look, one of the one of the networks that we created at Earth Networks, and going back to Earth Networks here, was a global lightning detection network. So we had sensors literally all over the planet, and they were, you know, electromagnetic sensors. So we actually sensed the pulse of energy that travels across the earth uh, when there's a lightning flash. And we identified that. And then we provided and sold that data to people like NASA and NOAA, the National Football League, and everybody that was really concerned about safety, right? Safety and operations. And and that was, you know, very sophisticated sensors that were deployed and we collected massive amounts of data in the cloud to do that. And, you know, it really was a, you know, the catalyst for the the new company, Whisker Labs, was, you know, unfortunately a catastrophic event at my sister-in-law's house. So, you know, she experienced an electrical fire. It was a devastating fire. Unfortunately, lost a pet. Fortunately, none of the family died. But it was a total loss. And, And, you know, I didn't know anything about electrical fires at that time. You know i you know quickly looked into them a little bit and you see that they they start by tiny arcs or sparks that happen sometimes they're very insidious they can be inside of the walls it's a loose connection or a damaged wire turned out to be a cord in the basement underneath a couch you know in her house and these things start out very very small you know once you have a damaged wire or loose connection it can only get worse over time and eventually it can start an electrical fire and they're the worst fires that impact homes and you know, so the you know my instinct was, well, can we solve that problem? We've got the best electromagnetic engineers on the planet. We're detecting sparks in the sky, you know, all over the world. And an arc and a spark in the sky is in many ways very similar to what happens when an electrical fire starts in the home, but they're tiny, tiny, much smaller, orders of magnitude different in size. So I challenged our team to say, can we leverage all of our experience and technology, uh, from the lightning detection network and solve this problem.
1: One of the things that like strikes me about Ting is you like I said, uh, kind of at the beginning of the question, you guys are solving a very specific thing, which is sort of the hallmark of of successful technology companies. They focus on doing a thing and do it really well. You guys have nailed that. But talk about like. I know that you have an affinity for solving hard problems, looking around until you've found an engineering problem that's really difficult, it's worth being solved, but you also have you know, kind of a culture for KISS. So you keep it simple, stupid. How, how do you guys think about this, these maybe seemingly conflicting ideas of like elegance and simplicity in product development while also looking for hard, complex problems?
3: yeah, you know it's it we've always tried to do things that have never been done before at some level, right? And they've never been done before because they're really, really hard at some level. and and so we try to solve very hard problems. You know from a business perspective, you know if you can if you can solve something that nobody's solved before, obviously, it's pretty hard. And if you can do that, then you're building yourself a moat, right? I mean, that that is difficult for somebody to replicate it. So it's always nice to have, you know, core technology that is super hard to replicate, right? Uh, And that's what we did at Earth Networks. And certainly even by a long shot, uh, that's what we've done with Ting because, you know, that problem, and and again, we incubated inside of Earth Networks. I kind of stole the best engineers that we had, and we incubated the effort inside of Earth Networks. And it took us the better part of two or three years. I mean, it, it looked like it was on the wrong side of impossible, to actually find these tiny, tiny little spark signals in a sea of noise. I mean, everything in your home is is producing noise and putting it on your electrical lines. And we had to find these tiny, tiny signals. And it was, it was just, it really looked impossible. We finally had a Eureka moment uh, Thanksgiving one year. I remember that weekend saying, oh my gosh, I think we've done it. Uh, we've solved, you know, we think we can find that signal in the noise. Um, and then it was, you know, then then you really, you know, we knew the problem was big. We, we knew we had a core piece of technology that we thought we could work. But then it was really, how do you make it simple, right? I mean, I, I am a huge believer in that you can't have, particularly for something that's going to be for consumers, it's got to be really, really simple. It's got to be DIY. There can't be maintenance involved. It's got to be elegant. You know, in the end, we just came up with a plug, right? It, it, you know, in the end, the product is very straightforward. It's just a plug. It's a super smart plug you plug it in you connect it to wi-fi and we sample the electricity 30 million times a second and send a bunch of data up to the cloud and do machine learning and all that good stuff that you know we want to do in the iot space but it was a super hard problem and we needed and the hard part was actually making it do it with one single plug to monitor the whole house and make it simple and elegant that way
1: one of the things that that joe shared in the uh, in the pre-interview that i thought was interesting you know, I think maybe at a at a further upstream moment in your product development timeline, maybe I'm like not capturing this anecdote exactly right, but like there was a more complicated version of the product that solved it. But you said, look, I, this isn't going to. It technically solves the problem, but this is not going to work for the for the for the customers and the customer base that we're cultivating. Can you talk about that a little bit?
3: Sure, I can. Yeah, I can do that. I mean, and you're close, Ryan. I mean, at the end of the day, we we first developed the sensor that you know we thought well if we're on the main panel we're closest to all the all the um wires in the home right every wire is connected at your main panel if we can get a sensor on there uh it might be a little easier to monitor the whole house and it was just fraught with problems unfortunately it wasn't diy and there's you know there's a percentage of homes that don't have wi-fi down at the panel sometimes there's not even power at the panel right there's not a plug to plug something in it's terrible uh and for that those reasons and a couple more Even after we know we had invested a lot of time and a lot of money in that the version of that sensor, and you know, just the conclusion was that that's just not going to scale. It's not easy enough. We need to make it easier and simpler for the consumer, and ultimately, we we were able to make it work with just a plug.
0: And that's that's a problem today with a lot of IoT devices: is the fracture between the promise of what it's going to do for you, and the ability of the consumer to adopt it in their home easily in their home, right? So. Bob, to your credit, you saw that fracture early on and said, this is not going to do that we're not going to be serving our customers well.
2: I think you noticed that a lot, especially as you kind of pointed, to, pointed out earlier, the uh, consumer facing products, there's a lot of complexity that goes into making hard things really easy to use. I kind of think about it like if you pull out your iPhone, you're like within like two clicks, the thing is connected, updated and working as a phone. That is a very non-trivial thing. And. So is this, you take something as hard to do as detecting micro arcing on a complicated grid with tons of noise on it, and all you gotta do is plug this thing into the wall, and boom, it's gonna tell you if you have risks. And it's a, it's a really elegant, really brilliant solution.
3: Yeah, it definitely—it's you know—it's did definitely it wasn't for the faint of heart. I mean, it did—you know—we've put a lot of money. It's you know—it's tens and tens of millions of dollars that have gone into making that thing work, right? So it's a big investment. It was a lot of time, you know, and you know, but once you get there, right? I think you know we're solving an important problem. You know, it's fifty thousand homes a year that are impacted by electrical fires. They're the worst fires. It's billions of losses, thousands of lives that are impacted by these things. And, you know, and it's a global problem too. So we, you know, we know we've got something that can, you know, you got to solve a problem, right? At the end of the day, you got to solve something that's important, you know, and that's what you need to have a good business.
1: That's right. Yeah. So uh, the next topic that I wanted to bring up, I think people, there's going to be a good portion of folks at home that will, th- this topic is going to resonate and be interesting interested, uh, interesting to them. Um, entrepreneurship, you know, so this this spun out of Earth Networks, And I think there's probably a lot of folks out there that are at larger companies running initiatives, and they're wondering things like, how do I know if my initiative is ripe to be spun out? How do you innovate within a company that's doing maybe a tangentially different thing? So like lightning detection to, you know, home electrical fire, obviously, I don't know, that's a tangential technology in my mind, related, for sure. But like, obviously, it was different enough that you guys felt like it made sense to spin it off. Can you talk about that that journey from you guys' perspective and maybe also share some anecdotes for that entrepreneur out there that's listening, that's innovating within a company, questions that maybe you wish you had had answers to prior or things you wish you'd known then?
3: Yeah, you know, and I think in many cases it's going to be somewhat unique to the company that you're you're originating in. But uh, in our case, you know, Earth Networks had grown over many years to be a you know a, a mid sized company, right? We had two hundred two hundred and fifty people, and and the business had grown and and was relatively stable and profitable and all that stuff. And then you know this opportunity came along to to leverage some core IP and core expertise that we had and apply it to a different problem. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to be able to invest a lot of money out of the uh, earth networks, you know, and and invest in it inside of that company. And it was a skunk works in- incubation, right? I mean, it, we, we kind of uh, literally cordoned ourselves off from everybody. We did nothing else but see if we could solve this problem. And we had the luxury to do that. Once we, and again, we made sure that there was an opportunity there too, right? First, I mean, you know, before we actually spent money, you don't want to solve a problem just to solve a problem. I mean, it, is there a business opportunity there? Is it going to be something that people care about? And that that was actually easy. I mean, that, you know, there's 50,000 of these, it's billions of dollars, right? And there's a lot of people that would like to solve this problem, especially the insurance companies. So, uh, so that was pretty easy. And then, then it was a matter of, does this fit within the original company, Earth Networks, right? It's a new product, it's a new market, it's a completely different business model. And then we needed to actually, you know, even though we had solved the core technical problem, it wasn't a product yet. So we still needed to invest a lot of money in it to bring it to market. And, you know, were we going to raise capital inside of Earth Networks? And and what would that thesis just didn't fit, I mean, and the capital structure of Earth Networks. And so we said the only way to actually invest in it appropriately would be to spin it out as its own entity then we could raise capital on this one idea, right? This is a different idea. It's a new business, and we could focus. The capital would understand it that we're going to focus. we're going to develop this product, we're going to you know make this happen. And that would have been difficult to do or probably impossible to do inside of Earth Network. So we decided to spin it out. and that wasn't that's that's a pretty significant effort, too, right? I and mean, spin out the legal work and everything else was not insignificant, but definitely, I think in the end, the right thing to do. If you were sitting down for a beer with somebody that was thinking about
1: spinning out, what's like, what are two or three questions you would ask them before, you know, you felt like you could advise them? Like, what are two or three key things they should be thinking about, or you'd be looking at to assess whether or not it made sense, or if it did make sense, how to best
3: move forward? You know, I I mean, I think one, are the customers the same, right? Is the business model similar? Are you selling to the same people? Is Is it going to be a similar business to operate? And you know if it is, then maybe it belongs inside of that company. So I think that that's certainly there. And then that's number one. And then number two, I think it really comes down to you know the the level of investment and the structure of the potential investment that you need to make. I mean, are you going to be able to raise capital enough and adequately to fund it inside of the existing company, or is it better spun out into a new company? And then you have to look all the way down the road to the potential exit too, right? I mean, who are the potential, you know, where's the company going to end up, right? Are you going to end up being a public company? Are you going to end up being acquired by somebody? And does it make sense to be inside of the original company or is it better, you're going to get a better outcome if you have a company that is very, very focused on uh, doing something uh, well?
0: And Bob, I might add, from a human capital perspective, right? We talked about it before. You said you stole the employees. Right. I might argue that they came along willingly. Not only that, they raised their hand and said, "This is a really big problem, and this is really meaningful, and I want to come along." Right? We did great stuff at Earth Networks, but I'm going to move out, and I want to come with Whisker Labs.
3: No, I, you know, look, I think Stan, our chief scientist, story. I mean, uh, Stan Heck, Dr. Heckman from MIT. I mean, he he was literally the world's leading lightning expert. I mean, he, he's known across the world as the guy that knows more about lightning than anything. And I think it was not even a remotely difficult decision for him. He's like, I think I can have a bigger impact on the world by coming to Whisker Labs and solving this problem. It's going to have impact, uh, more positive impact on more people than, than Earth Networks. It's interesting. Even
2: though your company Earth Networks was successful and afforded you the opportunity to be able to invest people and time and some money to get this thing to a certain point where you uh, kind of de-risked it enough to want to spin out a company, I've worked on a couple of battery chemistry technologies which are just world, you know, notable for how hard they are to solve and how it's very hard to plan invention. And I'm and and in electrochemistry world, you kind of have to do that. And I'm wondering. Did you feel by the time you decided to spin this out as a company, you knew you weren't gonna to have to invent a thing, like it, this was a solvable problem, it was just a really hard problem that you didn't have to invent a new solution to, to get there?
3: Yeah, we 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 had to get it to the point that we were confident that we we could build a product, right? I mean, we, you know, we had to find, you know, the hardest part was just finding the signal and the noise. I mean, you know, and that was you know, all lab work. I mean, we're literally working in each other's homes and creating sparks and got sensors all over the place and, you know, doing the whole thing like you're in the garage, right? And then, you know, once we once we actually proved it and and convinced ourselves that yes, we can find that signal, we know how to find that signal you know, then we could produce a product and that's when it makes sense to think about spinning it out.
1: One of the things that we do at Vary is, you know, we, in, we make a lot of investments in technology companies and often that investment will be not just cash, but we will, you know, place people into that project on, you know, in a long-term or indefinite basis. It, it could have sort of an in-kind investment, if you will. And that creates, that keeps our kind of leadership ranks moving along because like there's not this issue where at the top there's nowhere to go. So therefore there's no for the middle folks to go and so forth. Was there any sort of effect like that at Earth Networks? Like when you brought people over, did you guys find, expectedly or unexpectedly, that that created some dynamic uh, changes in, in over at Earth Networks in, in terms of presenting new opportunities because other folks had a chance to jump over onto this new venture. Were, were there, is there any like team dynamics th- surprising or otherwise that you can share?
3: Well, I mean, I, there's definitely a couple of those cases. I mean, a couple of key folks that that had, uh, at Earth Networks had kind of reached a, a level that that you know, you know, was there, how much opportunity was there for them? But you know, when they came over here. You know they're they're now key senior people right uh on this team and it you know it's it's a different culturally it has to be somebody you know that was willing to take a risk too i mean right we if we didn't shut down that original piece of hardware and product and we should have failed i mean you know and and you absolutely have a absolute chance you're going to fail and this company is going to go away right as soon as we untethered ourselves and we're on our own i mean your job is at risk right if we're either going to sink or swim and, you know, fortunately, so far, we've been able to swim pretty well, but that's not guaranteed, right?
1: Right. So so th- thinking about like sink versus swim or that risk reward kind of thought process, when you were, when you guys were preparing to take that leap, what technical challenge or non-technical challenge were, were you most nervous about? And you were like, this is the tall building that we've got to be able to leap if we're going to be successful. Can you talk about what that thing or
3: things might have been? Yeah, you know it's it's interesting, and one of the things we're you know very good at is just gigantic data. We did that at Earth Networks, so that was never a concern for me. I mean, we collect terabytes of data per day coming off of sensors all over the place. That was fine. It was just really that that these tiny signals, right? I mean, this product is a life safety product, right? So we are, as we look at it, we are all super passionate internally. We are responsible for protecting our customers and their families and their homes. I mean, that we, we carry that as a great responsibility. And ensuring that that works in almost all cases is a big, you know, huge deal and, and not easy. Uh, and, and in fact, I always uh, make sure to say, I mean, we cannot and will not prevent every electrical fire, even though essentially we've done that so far. You know, no product is perfect. And, you know, we're responsible. So every day we worry about, can we keep pushing the machine learning algorithms, the signal processing algorithms on the sensor to get to that next level, eke out a little bit more signal to noise, give ourselves a better chance to make sure we detect these little tiny problems that cause these horrible fires. And also do it, you know, the other side of that is, is do it without false alarms too. I mean, you can't, can't cry wolf and tell a homeowner that they have a a electrical fire hazard if you're not right. Uh, so, far, so far, we've been right every time, too. So it's really those two things. It's You have to detect the problems and not uh, cause false alarms. I can see
2: I can see it being very expensive if all of a sudden people start showing up and ripping open walls <laughs> and the oh, yeah. house you're installed into. So, yeah, that could be an a, yeah, economic no, problem.
3: No, and we're, and we're responsible. We send in electricians. That'd be on us, right? It'd be a horrible experience. I mean, and that was actually our, you know, you know, number one worry actually once we could felt comfortable we could detect the signal that we're looking for how many times are we going to think there's a problem and there's not i mean that that was actually the biggest worry up front once we could detect the signal and then but that has turned out to be not a problem i think our you know fortunately the machine learning does a great job there of distinguishing you know normal stuff because there's arcing that happens in the home that's normal right all the time and you know but we can figure that out
1: one of the things that's really interesting about ting is, you know, be, I don't know, because of the nature of fire. Like your house is on fire, uh, that, you know, it brings risk to your neighbors and your neighborhood, and the, sort of the nature of fire. So, like the more tings that are out there, um, the safer everyone is. You know, so like there's a a, a share, of, and I use the analogy of uh, the keychain guys. What's their name, Luke? Um, that. Apple is currently about to eat their lunch uh, tile. Um, And so, you know, you've got this tile app and it's great for finding your phone. And, but like your phone is also helping find other people's tiles. So you've got this network effect. The more users there are, the more valuable it is for everyone. Can you talk about, I think a lot of people out there are listening and they are thinking, Hey, my product has network effects. I think people underestimate how hard it is to get to a place where that network effects becomes valuable um, and not all strategies are the same. Can you talk about like Ting's kind of thoughts on network effects and how you guys have gone about trying to achieve success there?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there's two, there's, you know, network effect to me is gigantic. I mean, I, I am like a huge, huge believer in overwhelming problems with data. I mean, and, and having, you know, millions and millions of sensors, right? let's not literally the value of the network goes up with the square of the number of sensors in the network, right? It's, it's exponential. And, you know, I think in our case, there's network effects on the technology side and the data side, and then there's network effects on the business side and the marketing side. So on the technology side, you know, one ting, a single ting protects a single home and prevents electrical fires. But as soon as the community has a network of tings, we see incredible detail on the electric utility grid so we are detecting faults every single day all over the country that are really bad power quality problems and in the in in the western states these are the faults that cause some of these devastating wildfires that we've all heard about uh, in california and all the western states so we quite literally have the opportunity to detect these faults in very early stages with our network of tings Notify the utilities and allow give them the information they need to get technicians out, and prevent these things from happening. I mean, you think about that. I mean, these some of these fires, like the campfire in Paradise, California, right? I mean, that's it was it was unbelievable, right? The damage it was like twenty billion dollars. That one fire and like a thousand people, I and mean, it was like the worst ever, right? And it was a utility fault that was the cause for that. And you know, so we're gonna you know we are seeing incredible high resolution data, early detection of faults on the grid, and you know the utilities are going to be customers because they you know we have valuable information for them and they need to have it. They need to have that information. They don't have it today, uh, and they benefit from the network of things. I think the utilities almost can't not be
2: customers. <laughs> it's like reckless and somewhat irresponsible to not be a customer of that kind of
3: uh, data accessibility. I think that's 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 really right Luke in the end because it's it's they you know it's it's a network that is just growing on its own right I mean the network everything that comes to the network the machine learning gets better the the monitoring the grid gets better it's happening without any input from you know the utilities because you know our primary customer are the insurance companies state farm insurance is our lead you know lead customer and they're they'll give away a ting to any customer that wants it uh, knowing that it's gonna help prevent electrical fires, but then it's also gonna to contribute to the monitoring of the grid. Feeding, feeding on that
2: thread and then maybe following up a little bit on Apple's more recent efforts to uh, make your opting into having your data tracked and your data shared. I wonder, have you seen any issues with that with your customers, their willingness to be able to share their data uh, and, and, you know, how to have these, have they bought into that wholesale because it's obviously good for everybody or has there been any pushback on that?
3: really has not been any pushback it's a great question i mean it's it, because obviously everybody's sensitive to privacy and privacy is a huge deal to us i mean so i mean first and foremost i mean the nice the nice thing about this product you know unlike some others right is i mean there's no camera there's no microphone i mean all we do is just monitor the voltage so we don't even know how much energy you're using we just monitor the voltage uh to detect arcs so uh so there's really nothing sensitive in that way you know but the customers that, you know, we do provide the information to utilities, right? I mean, if you're, if the utility that's serving the power to your home is sending dangerous power to your home, it's also impacting your neighbor's homes, right? And so if if the neighbors and the community can come together to uh, provide that information to the utility, it's in everybody's interest for that, right? It's, it's so the only information we will share with anyone, no third party distribution of, of data is to our partners that are going to prevent fires at the end of the day, right? That's the only thing we do.
1: On on the uh, the topic of kind of closing the loop on network effects, or going back to that briefly, you guys have so we did our original pre-interview back in February. It's now June. We pushed it because you guys had an exciting announcement that you weren't ready to go public with at that time. Can you, can you talk about the the State Farm partnership and you know its impact on network effects and Kind of how they're looking at it. They're not really looking at this as a resale opportunity. They're seeing this as a an opportunity to prevent uh, home fires, and therefore reduce claims. Of course, which is fine. Everybody wins in that world. But can you talk about the the partnership and and how this has come about? What some of the goals are?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, State Farm has been a just a fantastic partner. Number one, uh, they've uh, they jumped on board very early on. Went through a lot of testing. Obviously, they're very sensitive to providing anything to their customers unless they know it absolutely works. So we did, you know, just a lot of legwork with them. But at the end of the day, the insurance companies are really undergoing a significant change in their business. I mean, it's there's lots of digital insurance companies now, not the the you know the old school companies that have been around forever. And, you know, the idea that that the insurance company is just going to pay you after you've had some catastrophic loss, you think about it, in, the, in today's IoT world, I mean, how does that make any sense, right? I mean, insurance companies, ultimately, the ones that are going to win are the ones that are going to help their customers and prevent the losses, right? I mean, doesn't that just make a lot more sense than, than you know, just waiting till after the event? I mean, what difference does it make whether you get you know, paid back from State Farm or some other customer. I mean, uh, some other insurance company, right? Prevention is the key to the future of insurance, I think.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of, I think, 10 or 15 years ago when they started the car insurance arms of the insurance companies with those underdash plug-ins to monitor driving and give discounts to folks that were, you know, doing things the right way. Do you view the, I, I take it, you view this as kind of like the home version of something like that?
3: It is similar. I think there's a couple small differences. Are, but no, it is. I mean, there's those, uh, you know, the car telematics uh, companies, there was a number of them, number one, and and, and they're very popular and, and the customers generally like them. I don't think there's a lot of data to suggest that it actually reduces claims. Um, you know, it doesn't prevent accidents. People drive the way they're going to drive generally. But you know, in our case, we absolutely can uh, prevent these devastating losses that families have to go through, and that's just a better thing, right? I mean, if you go back to uh, State Farm's their their slogan is like like a good neighbor. State Farm is there, and in this case, they're they're literally just trying to help their customers, and they believe strategically that doing the right thing for their customers is going to be good for their business in the long run, and that makes total sense to me.
1: So State Farm, of course, is famous for their advertisements they have a lot of like big name celebrities that they utilize whereas you know geico leans more heavily on a cartoon if you could have you know a beer or a glass of whiskey with any celebrity you know you're, you hey you know take or State farm uh you know take a look at this guy who out there at tv land do you wish would be the next state farm spokesman that you might have a chance to uh rub shoulders
3: with you know what I mean? I think you know it, it may be one of their existing spokesmen because uh, Aaron Rodgers, obviously the uh, the quarterback uh, for Green Bay, is from California. He's from Chico, if I recall. And after that Paradise Fire, I think he donated you know a significant amount of his own money to help the community there recover. You know, I think he would be somebody that would be a hundred percent behind what the heck we're trying to do. And I think it'd be awesome if he uh, got behind our cause.
2: As a couple of Baltimore natives, I really think we need to give Lamar Jackson an opportunity to maybe (laughs) chime in on this discussion.
3: (laughs) I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, go
2: Raven, right?
1: (laughs) So my last question is around the the personal aspect of this story. Um, Your product, I mean, at very, we're big fans of what you guys are doing. Our engineers like uh, really hard problems solved with like elegant solutions, which is I think how how we would uh, view what you guys have done. Too often what we see is people that come to us with an idea or a company born out of something personal, and they did very often are not good, you know, because they're born out of that personal anecdote. If you were advising somebody or, or to those out there that have an idea or a company born out of this personal moment, what are some things to be thinking about to help them, take a, like objectively look at this and say is this legitimately something the world needs yes or no or is this just you know your cat named Larry needed this one time you know but there is no market how how, how are you thinking about it how would you encourage others to think about it when there's this personal aspect
3: i mean uh, i mean number one i think the personal aspect is important in many ways, and it is kind of something that has, you know, been a lot of success stories around that, right? And in our case, it happened to be my sister-in-law's house and and the terrible experience that she had. So that really was the catalyst, and it really makes you passionate about trying to solve a problem when you've gone through something and seen a family go through something like that. On on the other side, you then you just have to be completely dispassionate, right? <laughs> on on the business side, I mean, is there a business opportunity or not? And in my case, I knew nothing about electrical fires, but it only took a few Google searches to see that, holy cow, these things are bad, and there's billions of dollars uh, lost, and there's billions of dollars being spent trying to solve this problem, and nobody's solved the problem. So I said, you know, so it really didn't, you know, we definitely did the market research. don't be wrong and Joe's done a lot of it, too. I mean, so we we did that up front to know before we went off and and spent uh, millions of dollars uh, trying to solve a problem that... That there was a real opportunity, but the passion, you know, I, you know, just in terms of our team here, I would say, you know, a lot of our success, I think, is just because it's not just me. I think the team just feels an incredible passion around solving this problem and helping families, right? It's like an incredible high every day that it happens, right? When there's a, you know, we find a problem, we find it, we fix it, and it would have potentially been a devastating fire that cost lives, right? So the passion behind that is really, you know, motivates us every single day.
0: Yeah, Bob, I would, I would also add that, you know, it wasn't personal for us, right? So we're a little bit separated from that, but it's a different type of passion, right? So, you, you know, the business side, you actually have to have that business hat on, right? But when you've taken that personal experience and the advice would be basically, um, when you're talking with someone who's got this thing and it's very personal for them to turn it into something that's really a true North for everybody at the company, but you're actually trying to solve that for the next person. So you're, you're, you're separating yourself a little bit from the personal experience, but you're also turning that into kind of like your, your North star, right? Which is basically, how do I do this for the next person and not just next person, but for everyone who is concerned about this type of problem.
2: I think the, uh, it's personal to a whole lot of people in California. Now I can tell you that I've lived through the past yeah. year when the whole sky was orange for weeks on end yeah. and people couldn't go outside and couldn't breathe and schools were closed. Like it was a very terrible experience. So I think there there's nobody that's not going to
3: appreciate uh, the benefit and the value of something like this. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that for sure. And it, it, it has been bad. And unfortunately it's looking like another potential bad year coming up, right? You're already in a terrible drought. So.
1: Yep. Yeah. And I shared with you previously our, you know, we're having our, our house uh, redone and our contractor raced out of here last Friday because his house was on fire. It was an electrical fire. House burned totally to the ground um, and, you know, not relevant to Ting's product. And and it. but, you know, it may have prevented that. But once it was underway, you know, it was just compounding failures. The fire department showed up and they didn't know how to use their to operate. They did not know how to operate their own fire truck. And so the house burned to the ground while. The fire department was you know trying to to get it going um which is just i, I think like a cautionary tale that like prevention is so much better than uh than, than solving it once it's underway because fires are very unpredictable and it, simply having a fire truck show up or you know catching it early is often not enough um
3: and so yeah, No, that's right. And, and smoke you know, smoke detectors, obviously, it is a very important part of any uh, home safety plan, and, and they're essential. We always make sure all of our customers know that. But they only tell you that you have a fire after the fact, right? I mean, it, there's already a fire when they're going off. I mean, the idea that you can try to prevent some of these things, you know, if you can do it, it's, it's obviously way better than having your smoke alarm go off. So
1: we're, we're moving to, to wrap here with this episode. I got two more questions for you, quick ones. Uh, number one. You know, you guys are in the IoT space. We're in the IoT space. As you look across the landscape, what product or company out there are you seeing that you're a fan of? Somebody that you appreciate their work. You like a particular product that maybe others don't know about. What are you seeing that you like out there right now?
3: Look, I like the simplicity. You know, of the uh, I mean, of the Nest products. I have quite a few Nest products in my my home, and and they're they're simple, right? They were simple to install, and and the user experience is great, and um, You know, so, I, you know, even though they've been around a long time, right, they're uh, nothing uh, like a startup anymore, but uh, they still produce good products.
1: Yep. Agreed. I'm a Nest user as well. Well, Bob and Joe, I really appreciate your time. Uh, If folks wanted to be able to to reach out after the episode uh, with questions or thumbs up uh, on things they heard here today, how can they find you guys?
3: Yeah, obviously hit me up on uh, LinkedIn or uh, Bob at WhiskerLabs.com. Fire me an email anytime. And Joe,
0: uh, for the folks at home, how can they find you? Same thing, joe at whiskerlabs.com. You can go to
2: tingfire.com
0: as well to check things out uh, and hit me up on LinkedIn.
2: Fire me. Always know what you did there, Bob. Yeah. What's that? What's that? Fire me an email. We saw what you did there. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Old habit. Yeah.
2: All right. A yeah, little word right. play
1: to, to play us out here today. Uh, those at home, thanks for listening. Uh, Bob and Joe, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show today.
3: Hey Ryan, Luke, thanks, enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: You shouldn't
1: have to worry about IoT projects dragging on or unreliable vendors. You've got enough on your plate. The right team of engineers and project managers can change a pivotal moment for your business into your competitive edge. Very close knit crew of ambitious problem solvers, continuous improvers and curious builders Know how to turn your ideas into a reality, on time, and up to your standards. With a focus on mitigating risk and maximizing opportunity, we'll help you build an IoT solution that you can hang your hat on. Let's bring your IoT idea to life. Learn more at verypossible.com.
0: You've been listening to over-the-air IoT connected devices and The Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. Have a question or an idea for a future episode? Send it to podcast at verypossible.com. See you next time.